Hi, hello, and welcome to K Out and About, the podcast about my random travel occurrences. This is season one, episode 25, The British and the Continental. And again, it has been a long time between episodes, and my only excuse is uni, as I have quit my job a few months ago. At uni, however, I got myself into different courses, and it turned out to be two courses too many. In any case, the exams are over, summer's on, and I haven't started yet looking for a new job, so it's the perfect time to catch up on my episodes. I didn't realize, however, that I was trying to cram too many things into this one episode, and it was just totally lacking coherence, so I've been doing a lot of rewrites and then rewrites of the rewrites. But now it's ready, and here it is. The title of this episode brings one basic uh, basic difference to mind, uh, you know, the British and the Continental, and that is breakfast. One is a disgusting fry-up consisting of greasy sausages, eggs, baked beans, bacon, tomatoes, blood sausage, and more. And the other is a refreshing bowl of cereal, maybe with some fruit, maybe some honey on bread, uh, croissant, and you already know which one I like better obviously. In my timeline, I'm still in London. As I said before, I think um, I went there for six months, tops, and stayed there almost 11 years. My only wake-up call was when I realized that I did not want to see myself growing old there. It wasn't my culture, never agreed with it, and I didn't want to become this bitter old lady and complain about everything around me with dreams always out of reach. I'd rather do that in a different country, one that I maybe don't have so much beef with. And the beef came from just too many differences that I was discovering every step of the way, even that some some of those differences were really small. And only now, a few years after I moved away, I can be a bit more objective and admit that uh, there are a few things about the UK that I kind of liked and I will actually miss, or I actually do miss already. I will tell you about them as well, of course. But let me start with the concept of rudeness and politeness. I kind of knew that, you know, certain gestures or words may be considered as rude in different cultures. But in my eyes, those cultures would have to be fundamentally different. Like if I went to China or Ghana or Cuba or Turkey, to name a closer one. But within Europe, like why would there be, you know, such massive differences. And so when I moved to the UK in 2006, so after Sheffield, where I didn't have much to do with Brits as such anyway, I discovered that I'm considered rude and it wasn't the swearing. Although I had to switch to freaking instead of fucking as I was using it a lot and you maybe shouldn't do that while working at a hotel reception. But it wasn't that. It was the fact that I didn't say please and thank you in every single sentence. Now, in Polish, when you use the could you, would you, that's already considered polite because, you know, the normal version is like, can you, can you give me that, can you do this? It counts how you say it, you know, the tone of your voice. But with English, it was the words that mattered more. So if I said, oh, could you give me that in the nicest and politest way, I was still rude because I didn't say please. Never mind that when you do use it, when you do say please, but make it sound like you're a douchebag, like, could you pass me the salt, please? You're fine, you're polite, because you used it, 
Now riddle me this. Then there's also the being polite while making you feel like shit. It happened to me a few times. I think it was only in my first year in London that people were explaining something to me in a special tone of voice and using all the polite words, but nevertheless making sure I felt like a little bug underneath their feet. The first time it happened, I thought, what the fuck? First, how dare they make me feel like that? And second, how do they do that? And I'm afraid I cannot demonstrate it as I have never mastered the art, but you definitely know when it happens to you. And there's nothing you can say. Whatever words come out of your mouth, uh, just confirm your inadequacy in any given situation. It stops, I think, when they cannot figure out where you're from um, or like if you're not from the UK. Although I might be totally wrong and it stopped for me because I stopped spending time with douchebags. In any case, a little while ago, I actually did spend some time with a very, very proper English person and I suddenly remembered exactly why I wanted to move away. I got a fresh lesson in imperialistic patronizing. It was, in fact, in London, um, the first time I came across this kind of imperialistic thinking. I say imperialistic because there are only certain nations that give out that vibe. Um, the British mainly, the Americans a little bit, sometimes the Spaniards when they're around Latin America. Those nations, um, and I have to stress that I'm talking here about a general vibe that I came across, not about every single person I met. So these nations, they often assume you must know their culture. You must know things they have experienced when they were growing up, you know, as if they couldn't imagine that someone grew up in a different culture. Of course, now that we live in the global village, it's easier to understand many of the references. Kids and adults now have wider access to certain things of the internet. Um, although they might have not grown up uh, with them, like, you know, they grew up in different parts of the world, they know Teletubbies, they know Peppa Pig or Spongebob. I mean, never watched it, but even I have heard of them. But when I, uh, until I got to the UK, I never heard about Paddington Bear. And a lot of people, a lot of British people were shocked. Like, what kind of childhood did you have? Well, full of other things that were part of my culture. We had our own bears. One, Ushatek, had a floppy ear, and the other one, for example, uh, Kolargol, uh, traveled a lot. We had Philemon the cat, we had Reksha the dog, and Kozowek Matowek the goat. Shout out, by the way, to all the Poles listening. Uh, so this is why I call that kind of behavior imperialistic, because, you know, everyone is expected to know their culture, but there's often no intent to return the favor. Again, I would like to stress that I'm talking very generally here. Like there are many exceptions that uh, cross my path. So yes, I know people who are actually very nice and they are not, um, they, they don't have this imperialistic behavior at all. However, it was also in the UK that I understood that I'm part of the continental culture. Or actually, it was my first trip outside of the UK within Europe that was in Poland if that makes sense. 
I think it was an Easter trip. Uh, we visited the Netherlands, Germany and Belgium. And I weirdly felt more at home than in London. In the UK, at first, I remember it took me ages to learn all the new brands in the supermarket and what the things are for. Like silly stuff like lace chips were suddenly Walker's crisps. Elsev shampoo was Elvive, and I never found my favorite toothpaste, which was Blendamed. Now I know that it's Crest, uh, but they look totally different. Like I would never assume that it's the same brand. Everything seemed so very foreign. Yes, of course, I was living in a foreign country, but on that few day trip, uh, although I was in foreign countries, things felt a lot more familiar. Uh, well, actually, let me put it this way. For me, feeling at home, <clears throat> sorry, losing my voice, goes in stages. <clears throat> so first, of course, there are things I grew up with that are typically Polish. Then, of course, sort of Slavic, Central European, uh, like Krecik, Krtek, or the neighbors, not the Australian ones, but the amazing masterpiece of Czechoslovakian uh, animation. Uh, or Czechoslovakian movies like Žena za pultem, Nikogo nie ma v domu, or the Soviet cartoon Wilki Zajec. Like even our Polish cartoon Boleki Lolek was aired in Austria. So there's certain people from a generation that would recognize it and yeah, you know, maybe be familiar with it. And that's just TV. Like I could add to that a variety of foods like goulash, pierogi and barscht. Like we still have sort of an unspoken fight, like which one is, you know, belongs to which country, like what is more Hungarian, what is more Ukrainian or more Polish. Um, then we go a bit wider. And I feel like I have a lot in common with the Germans, uh, French, or even the Swedes. It's mainly music, TV, and food again. Um, there are a lot of things that we share that British people wouldn't have any idea about. I often even feel that I have more in common with the Spaniards and Italians than with the Anglo-Saxon world. Few examples here. If I throw in names like Albana and Romina Power, Modern Talking, Maya the Bee, or uh, Bina Maya, or if I play this song. Lasciatemi cantare con la chitarra in mano Lasciatemi cantare Sono un italiano I better don't play more because I have no clue about copyrights in this case. By the way, it was um, L'Italiano Vero by Toto Cotugno. My point is, People from my generation, from Central Europe, and probably from other countries, will know straight away what I'm talking about, what, what it was. There's no doubt in my mind, because I have tested it empirically by simply asking around uh, a lot of people. So although the exact borderline between, you know, what is more British and what is more continental probably may not be drawn, it became quite clear to me on which side I was. Now, to a topic that actually has hit a nerve, namely drinking alcohol. I come from Poland and we tend to have a reputation in regards to alcohol consumption. I myself on few occasions drank some representatives of other nations under the table. However, since I lived in the UK, 
Now, whenever someone comments on Paul's drinking, I usually advise them to go and check on the Brits. Oh my God, finding an excuse to drink alcohol wherever and whenever possible is like a national sport. People in the hospitality industry on the continent may have some stories to add here as well, uh, as I can imagine, because we all have met Brits on holidays. I have seen more of how they drink, obviously, at home. And literally, uh, people often drink alone. I worked with a lady that, uh, you know, would admit, oh, yeah, no, I had a bottle of wine yesterday, you know, a Tuesday or a Thursday, just any day of the week, uh, by herself. People drink alone in the pub. They just sit there and have one beer after another. However, I will not focus here on the negatives. I'd rather make you, you know, smile, giggle, laugh a little bit than completely depressed on the alcohol topic. So I will tell you about some fun drinking traditions, as the Brits do have them. Pop crawl is one of those things. I was introduced to it by one of my very, very, very English friends. It basically means that, you know, as the day or the evening progresses, you change locations from one place to another. And I'm not saying other nations don't do it. It's just not a thing to do, like, let's say, on a monthly basis or like with a specific group of friends every time you meet. Like, you might change location, but you're not going to try and hit oh, let's do these 10 pubs in this area. That's definitely more um, a, a British thing. So uh, we, the, I think there were three of us. Uh, so we focused uh, sort of around Wimbledon Village. And I think the plan was to finish down in, in the town, sort of closer to Wimbledon Station. But we never got there, really. <laughs> so pub crawls have rules. And we had a whole list for example, if you were the one buying the round or just getting something from the bar, you had to ask for the name of the person serving you and then let the others know. You had to drink with your right hand. You were not allowed to point at the person you were speaking to. There was no talking on the phone at the table, English only, and no spillage. And if you sort of broke one of these rules, there were penalties or like we would give you a task to do and as we went on of course we were coming up with the weirdest tasks uh, for the others for example I had to call the hotel where we were all working and ask to speak to the general manager about his illegitimate child yeah that that was fun Someone had to drink a shot glass of lemon juice with uh, two drops of Tabasco. And now that I'm thinking about it, it might have been me. Someone had to serenade a friend, uh, write a nasty uh, poem, like a nasty, like proper sort of porn nasty poem. Somebody had to snort pepper, lick someone's ear, like, you know, just to name you a few examples. In the end, after midnight, we... We did sort of do it from 11 to 11. We wanted to do 12 hours. So we did manage to be still standing uh, after, even after midnight. But it was just the two of us. And I'm afraid to say we were no longer coherent. What else can I tell you about partying in the UK? There is a lot of dress up going on. Or as they call it, fancy dress parties. And uh, you don't fancy dress, because when somebody tells me, oh, that's a fancy dress, 
That for me means, ooh, that's something nice, something very fancy. No, fancy dress party means you dress up. Sometimes it's connected to something like Halloween. That's a perfect occasion for a dress up. Uh, but it's very often not connected to anything. Like it could be someone's birthday or it's just, you know, why not do it in the middle of October? Just for fun. And people actually have this stuff at home. If you don't have it at home, there are sort of specialized uh, shops that sell it, which I actually didn't know about. Um, but they are always ready for a fancy dress party. And I think I got sort of told, I was like, oh, yeah, there's a fancy dress party. And I said, well, I've, I've got nothing. Like, I just have normal clothes. They were a little bit surprised. And I'm guessing that's just part of the culture to have, I don't know, a penguin costume or a kangaroo costume or uh, a set of wigs waiting in the closet for the right opportunity. That would be it for today. In the next episode, I will tell you a bit more about uh, customer service in the UK, shopping in London, and what I actually miss about it. Thanks for listening, and until next time.